0: welcome to group work i'm your host katie k may and i interview mental health therapists to find out what happens in the space where group therapy takes place take a deep breath and find your seat inside the circle this episode of group work is about to get started Lena McCain is a psychotherapist who holds a Master's of Arts in Clinical Mental Health, mindfulness-based, transpersonal counseling psychology from Naropa University. Her drive and passions lie in the realm of interfaith relations and youth collaboration, which she brings to Interfaith Bridge Counseling with over 12 years of experience and with an emphasis on one's self-discovery, spirituality, and multicultural diversity. Lena's expertise in spirituality and the therapeutic world acts as a reminder to our community, teens, and young adults that they are not alone in their experience of life. Learn more about Lena at interfaithbridge.com. Lena, I am so excited to have you here today.
1: Hey, I'm grateful to be here.
0: So I was just sharing offline uh, um, that Lena and I were talking about that I feel nervous to have this podcast today because Lena is so awesome and so amazing. And I want to make sure that we're highlighting all of the incredible efforts that you are making with working with teens and young adults. So I think we have some, we're kindred spirits in that way that our population is similar. I'm going to pull myself back and ask you to just introduce yourself, like who are you and, and what makes you passionate about the work that you're doing?
1: Awesome. Well, I'm Lena McCain, and I am the founder of Interfaith Bridge Counseling here in Colorado. And we focus primarily on tweens, teens, and 20 somethings. And so we provide individual counseling, group therapy, and then community programming. So we even go out into houses of worship or schools and things like that to work with different groups there. Yeah. And I love working with teens primarily. I mean, that's really my big focus. I started working with 20 somethings because teens age out into young adults and 20 somethings but teens are really where my passion lie because they're just so fun and I also think that they're the leaders that we kind of stop listening to when we get older when we really shouldn't they're the ones that are teaching us a lot of information and we should be carrying those like lessons I call them life lessons with us through as we age and so they become kind of my passion point in that realm.
0: I love that you're highlighting this right from the start. And I would totally agree with you. I think language that I've heard you use before is that the teen population is overlooked at times or like their their ideas are dismissed at times. And I personally have had the opposite experience in that teens teens give me hope that things can get better because their ideas and viewpoints and passion really exemplify like my values and what I want to see in the world in a way that makes sense. And this is leading me to to being more curious about who you were as a teen. Like, I know why I do what I do. And it comes from being the teen that I was. And I'm curious, like, what were you like in high school? And what was your experience like? Yeah,
1: great question. Kind of similar. (laughs) I was reflecting on this a lot the last few days. It's like, who was I in high school? and, And what, how does that connect to me now? And when I really think about it, In high school, I was kind of the odd teen out, like I had a lot of friends, but I didn't feel really connected to them. I felt like I could like put the mask on and really just kind of go through the loops to be in those social circles and check off the boxes of what people wanted to see. But no one really knew who I was like at my core. And the place that I found that was in my youth group, which was a multi-faith type of youth group. And they knew who I was and they helped me figure out the type of leader that I wanted to be. And when I started to get older and realized I was going to be leaving this youth group, I was like, okay, but houses of worship don't really give that to me. (laughs) Right? Like when I get older, I don't see myself going to church every week, but I do want that same type of community. And then that's when I realized that like our community really identifies the type of people we're going to be and the type of people we want to be. So if we can foster our community, we can also foster our self identity and get them to unite. And that's kind of how I've built my practice is I want them to have a community, which is why group therapy is so important.
0: This is beautiful. I'm like touching my heart. I'm feeling this in all the right places of this idea of community shaping who you are for for better or worse. That is a truth. And so being intentional about the space that you're building for the teens that you're supporting now is such an important endeavor and one that you personally experience like you have a lived experience of of finding yourself in community. So I love that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing about community, too, is like when you're a teen, you're still figuring out who you are and who you want to be. So you also need a community that's going to allow you to um, play with that. You know, it may not be the safest space because I don't believe in safe spaces, but at least a brave space so that you can show up and be like, hey, I'm this person and I'm going to make mistakes. And then this is how I repair. And if you don't have that type of community, I mean, that's where we start to get crisis. Right.
0: Yeah, that brave space. I know you have a group where you talk about brave spaces as well. And I think that it's such an important qualifier that spaces may not feel completely safe, but that we can show up brave within them and and play around with who we are. And, and that is developmentally typical and important for our teen population to figure out. Totally. <laughs> such good work. So what I had asked you is if we could talk about your, I don't want to miscall it, like your sex ed group today. So let's start us off by just telling me a little bit about what that group is called, what the intention of it is, so that um, we can understand it as we dive into it.
1: Totally. So it's kind of got a long name, but it's a fun name. It's called the birds, the bees, and everything in between. Ooh. <laughs> Um, Mostly because he can't just go flat out there and be like, hey, we have a sex ed group for teens, but it is a healthy relationships, teen wellness, and a little bit of that sex education in there so that teens can get what we don't teach here on a national level very well.
0: Yeah. I see like the, the caution perhaps in your face and saying, we don't teach this very well. And I'm just going to call out like what I see and I do lots of teen groups. And there are times when I have to tell them like how to use a condom like, for <laughs> totally. you know? and like that becomes a part of this coaching and therapy experience. Is They don't have any other adult supportive voice that's teaching them how to do things safely because they have an Um, I guess, a hope or expectation of abstinence that's inaccurate to the reality of what's happening. So that's just, you know, however people want to receive that information. That's something that I've had to talk about within the context of my groups before.
1: Totally. I mean, that's the thing about, and that's what I love about teams, when you can you can guess if they feel secure with you and if they feel like they're building a community because then things aren't off topic. And it's important that that happens because if things aren't off topic, then we get the real questions coming in. Like, I don't know how to be safe, but I am sexually active. Where are they gonna turn for that if they don't feel like they have another adult or another community that they can ask those questions to?
0: Absolutely. So I'm wondering then as we're talking about this, how do you create that sense of security as a group leader that nothing's gonna shock you or be too taboo to bring up within the group space?
1: That's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's a lot about having fun and making deep serious topics have a space to like come up for a deep breath you know, that breath of fresh air. So when we start our groups, we start first and foremost with kind of like a casual check-in where they get to share their highs and their lows. And then we use Jamboard in a virtual setting. And if we were in person, I usually have a giant chalkboard wall in my office. So they would draw there for their check-in. And so it's something silly and fun, like what's your pizza feeling this week or your astrology feeling? And they get to, to interact that way. And then we always, always, always start with a game because then it gets them laughing they get them in the mindset that this isn't school this isn't another business meeting or extracurricular meeting like this is about you and the thoughts that are going on and how do we then check in with everybody and say cool so we're going to be diving into some awkward conversations and that's totally fine so you can laugh you can be silly but you also get to be serious together it's a this and process
0: yeah. And I think that's so important. The way you're describing it is you're creating comfort and connection within the group before you're not just like opening the the group to sex. <laughs> like, yeah. There's like, a process you're building up to that. And so, and I'd imagine that the the more the group goes on, the more the comfort level goes on. And I think the other side of that as well, like your level of authenticity and comfort in talking about these things probably brings a lot
1: to the table. Totally. Well, and I always use myself as like an example, both from when I was their age, but also now and being like, and naming like, wow, this, I feel really awkward when I asked this question and then I looked at everyone's faces and then they'll start laughing, right? Because if I can also make fun of me and how I feel, then that means that they can also just show up. Such an important part to that connection.
0: Yeah. Being able to model it so they can see like it's normal to feel awkward having some of these conversations for sure. Totally. So you've spoken a little bit about the structure. They come in, there's some kind of icebreaker and some check-in, and then you dig into some topic. Can you give me a sense of like, what are some of those topics that tend to show up in this birds, bees and everything
1: in between group? Yeah, so- I am really all about multicultural diversity. And so that means that we're bringing in different levels of inclusivity and different levels of accessibility. And so we always start um, after we get through getting to know one another and have kind of that, we've built our community. The next really big part is like, what do we consider basic human rights? And like, Let's have we do a really big like kind of mind bubble map activity where they just start kind of putting out there the different posted ideas of like what does it mean to have human rights and what are those basic ones and. You start seeing that like disabilities come in, equity comes in. We have, you know, being able to just exist in our genders and our sexual orientations comes in, race comes in, all these basic human rights. And then we start to structure our sessions based on the basic human rights piece. So we talk about what does it look like to be transgender or LGB and part of this community? What does it look like if you're from this spiritual or maybe more cultural aspect and talking about sex what are the what are the do's and don'ts and like how do we be safe if we're rubbing up against them and then disability I think is always kind of the most fun one um, which is an odd thing to say but as a disabled one, person I think is true like yeah we never even think really about like how do disabled people have sex and what does that mean on a mental level and on a physical level too because it's not always the same and so then we get to build in consent and kind of like what our, um, our top 10 values are around sex and being active or not being active because we're inclusive of people who don't actually have sex but need to know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is so I'm picturing how this unfolds in the room and just the energy of everyone feeling like they have an equal part, an equal say in what plays out and how it plays out and how we understand each other and how we include each other. And it's amazing. I just want to first thank you for offering something like this, because I think it's so needed and there's not enough of it around for our teens or really any of us to have these kinds of candid conversations. It's making me curious about a lot of things, but the thought popped into my head about the barriers that come up in teens being a part of this group, especially if parents are paying for treatment or driving them to treatment. Are you, do you notice that there
1: are barriers and how do you overcome those barriers? Yeah. So it's, probably important to note that in Colorado, our age of consent is 12 years old, and my practice is built on parents not often knowing my clients are in therapy. So a lot of my my clients come to me and they're paying for their own therapy. Their parents aren't heavily involved. If their parents are involved, the teens have a lot of say around that. Um so that's kind of like a disclaimer that I put out there. When we do this specific group though, when parents are involved, we do ask them to join us for a parent orientation before the group even starts so that we can really tell them and talk to them about like, here's the different things that are going to come up. And this is probably what we're going to see in your teen And like, here are ways that you can make it way less awkward for them or uncomfortable, and also give them space to just process it. And parents then have that kind of that time to one meet one another um, and see that they're not the only parent like I want my team to have this education, but there's such a stigma around it. And two, they get to really ask questions of like okay, so like you know you're getting I'm getting this update that this is what we're talking about or what you all talked about like how do I how do I continue that conversation at home And then we can give them some concrete ways, but we do give them some outlined like cool okay. <laughs> maybe don't ask them the day of, or maybe give them a week or two to really just like process it and also respect when they don't want to talk about it yet.
0: That seems really important in this context. And I think probably for teen treatment in general is teaching parents how to create the perfect conditions for therapy to work or for group to work in one way or another and, and what to say or do or what not to say and do. So it sounds like you're really giving them that framework so that the group space can be protected and successful for the members of the group too. How do your teen, like, what is a good Teen member for this group, what would be a reason that they would join, let's say, this group versus a general teen group that maybe
1: doesn't have this focus? Yeah. When I think about like the ideal team for this group and why they would join one, they're a curious person. And so they have a lot of questions around what does it look like to express who I am and who I want to be, you know, because sex, sex education isn't just like the how to do it and keep safe. It includes like exploring your gender and your romantic expression, and all of those pieces in between, and like, how do you build a community that supports you if something goes wrong? And so having that curiosity and willingness to participate is kind of the two big pieces that we look for. We also look for independence. In that way, so like they are teens who are reaching out to us, or if their parent reaches out to us, their teen probably already has a list of questions they want to make sure the parent has asked. That's usually about the, the people and I'll be honest, often people who have disabilities LGBTQIA plus community, etc. They're the ones who are usually coming to us.
0: And that makes perfect sense because it sounds like a a part of this group is just like you said, not the that someone's sexually active or has questions around consent or safe sex, but like this intersectionality of all the different parts of their identity and how that fits in with also these other things that they're they're doing. Does that sound right to you? Yep, totally. Totally. For you as a group leader, what would you say, you know, protecting confidentiality of your group and all that, but a favorite group moment or something that stands out as like, this is why I do this. Like, I love that when this sort of thing happens.
1: Mm. So we pull a lot from um, beyond the basics curriculum for this specific group. And they have an activity in there that is the gender um, and sexual orientation galaxy. And so and it's actually their freebie. So you can download it on their on their website, too. But there are two different galaxies. And one is exploring or gender, and the other one is exploring your sexual orientation and romantic expression. And one of my favorite things to do is that activity with the group, because then they start to realize both if they are, you know, part of the queer community or not, they start to realize like, oh, this has actually been around since I was really tiny. Like they ask, you know, the questions in this activity is to go back and like, look at like when was the first time you realized that you might be attracted to someone when was the first time you realized that people are attracted to people all these like very simple questions that we don't think about and as you watch teams go through that they're like wow this isn't something that just actually came up this year when I entered high school it's like no this has been around for a really long time and people didn't talk to me about it or maybe they did but they like I didn't they didn't get the gravity of the situation of what was happening in my mind. And so then they realized, like, they've actually had a voice in this since they were so little. And so it's not just one or two years of experience, of lived experience. It's, you know, 14, 15, 16 years of lived experience. And the look on their face is like astounding when that light bulb goes off.
0: That's such an impactful thing to recognize, like the journey, right? And and how much of the journey you're actually holding when you get to this point when you're talking about it. I'm curious about the, the general age demographics of this group. I recently participated and I have an almost 13-year-old and they had this event called Speak Up and it was a lot about like sexual identity and um, gender orientation and all these things like that. And I was so impressed with these 11 and 12-year-olds and their their ability to know themselves and explore who they are and to be able to speak up about that with a panel of adults. And so I just see this this need for, you know, younger and younger teens and tweens to have a forum like this, to have this support. So this is my long way of asking like, what, what is the age range of your group? <laughs>
1: You know, we actually break it down. So I'm most comfortable with high school youth just because like personality wise, um, we get along, but I also work with tweens. So when we break it down, we actually break it down by like almost like a two year basis. So like we will do sixth grade. So usually end of fifth grade entering sixth grade and then sixth graders will be together. And then we do seventh and eighth, ninth and 10th, and then 11th and 12th.
0: Got it. So it's really as tight age ranges, you're
1: keeping them together in these subgroups. Yeah, absolutely. Because then, I mean, we do small groups to begin with, but it allows them to really be able to share their personal experiences. Like I What I don't want to happen is that like, you know, we have a freshman and a 12th grader together and then a 12th grader is sharing their lived experience that needs a little bit of support working something out. And then what happens is like, you know, our ninth grader, our freshman is like, this is way too much information. I don't know what to do. And then our 12th grader is there one getting feedback that it's awkward. They shared it. But two, now they're just kind of left hanging and it's actually no longer a brave space for them to share. And then our freshmen's over here like, wow, I really failed my community member by not being able to support them. And now I'm overwhelmed and I feel awful. And instead of having a corrective experience about sex here, I'm having a really terrible shaming experience. Like we don't want that to happen. So we try to eliminate that as much as possible.
0: The way that you described that, it was just like perfect. You don't want to recreate you know, these negative experiences they've had out in the world in this brave space that you've created for them. And so it sounds really intentional the way that you're putting them together. Totally. What is, you mentioned you have small groups on purpose. So what do you consider a small group? So
1: we range between six to 10 participants. Six is our ideal number though. When we're talking about this group, we will tend to have up to eight to, to 10 and really focus in. I mean, six is just ideal because it's small enough that they feel really secure, but we do get really long wait lists.
0: Okay. And how long would you say someone stays in a group like this? Is it open and ongoing? Is it following the curriculum to like a finite number of groups?
1: This one is not ongoing. This one is a closed group. So we usually do about 12 Of them all together. So 12 sessions and the first two, like, it's really, I mean, it's really down to 10 at the end of it, because the first one is the parents like orientation, get to know each other. The second one is the teens get to know each other and just like, have fun and be silly and build that connection and community. And then we dive into the topics.
0: Got it. Awesome. And you mentioned Beyond the Basics, you mentioned Jamboard. Are there any other tools or resources that make this group really fun and, and work well for you?
1: For us, you know, to be honest, I try and always do it with my co- uh, co-facilitator just so that there's two people to always kind of model with and share a lived experience. Um, so that's one resource. But then the other piece, too, is like. We. We design our own templates in Canva. Like that's so important. Like yeah, Jamboard's great and all, but just like a white background doesn't doesn't do much for me creatively. And when we're talking about awkward things, like. People like things to look at that are pretty and nice and fun. And so we use Canva to make really pretty templates and make them fit our teens. But we also use things like Spotify or Padlet to be able to create their own playlist. So that's like another building activity that we do in our closed groups is that they build a playlist together so that that's what's playing in the background while we're talking about awkward things. And it's not just silent all the time, things like that.
0: That's amazing. So thinking about like, almost like these, these blank spaces that you're filling in with, with what's meaningful to the group, like the backgrounds of the jam board are colorful and on brand for what you're doing, even the music that's playing to offset the awkwardness of a conversation. It sounds like you're really allowing these group members to co-create the space in a way that makes it more engaging for them. And that seems really important
1: totally because that's also part of community right like that's actually one of the things that we decide if a space is okay for us to join, right? We're looking at our five senses. Well, how do I feel when I'm done with this, right? And so like, if they can co-create that space, even in a virtual setting, which I have a personal belief that like, anything you can do in person, you can do virtually. And so it's just all about how creative can you get to help them make that space that then lets them know, like, yes, this is brave. This is where I can show up and I can be unapologetically me.
0: Beautiful. As a group leader, what is it like for you to see them complete this process and really connect more genuinely with who they are? Like, what does that feel like for you?
1: Mm. It feels really, I think the word's like inspiring because I don't, I'm not a person who like has this like motivation from when I was in college and like I was going to be a therapist like that's not who I was and so like when I see this community it's like wow you not only have just like found more of who you are you also found people like you and that think like you and like a big part of our groups is that we actually let them exchange contact information. And so they're hanging out outside of group too. And so like watching them build, foster this community together, it's like, wow. Now I know that you found more of who you are and who you wanna be and you have a community that's willing to help support you continue to explore that. Like that's inspiring I think as an adult to also remember that like we get that too.
0: I'm really glad that you brought this point up to about the connections outside of group. I know like my work history was in a partial hospital where I think it makes sense that they don't want people connecting outside of group. I understand the rule behind it. And I saw them, you know, covertly sharing contact information all the time. And so I knew it was happening. And when I started my own groups, I felt like I'm not going to create this rule that forces them to be sneaky about something that's so natural, which is wanting to connect with peers who understand you. And isn't the ultimate goal for them to have the kinds of connections that sustain them and that they can rely on ongoing and not just in my oversight. And so I love that you're seeing that they can maintain these relationships outside of group and that it works. Like there's, I think therapists fear what that means for the group dynamics. And so I'm curious, have you noticed it be negatively impactful in any way for them to have connections outside of group?
1: I don't think it's negative. I haven't had any negative experiences with it. What I do tell them, one, in their intake with me, and then two, when they enter the group and we do group agreements, is that anything that happens outside of group when you hang out will be brought into groups. So if you don't want the group to be up in your business, like be aware, like your actions will create that domino effect because it's inevitable. And so they're really like, they're really aware of that. I think in part because they, you know, we really, we really scan for, independence and autonomy when coming into our group. So that's like one of the things that just clicks really well for them. And so they openly bring it in, like in their check-ins, you know, they'll be like, well, so-and-so and so-and-so and I had, you know, a virtual hangout session this weekend. And we were really talking about X, Y, Z. And I just realized like how passionate I get about it. And then the other group members will join in and then some of them will be like, well, why wasn't I invited? And they'll be like, well, you know, we didn't think you'd be interested, but if you want to like we'll make sure to add you for the next one let me make sure i have the right info for you and so they like do that and you also see like who kind of takes the leadership role when new group members enter like you know for any of our groups even our ongoing they'll be like so now that we've gotten all of the business stuff out of the way and the group agreements, we do have an Instagram group. So like, can you give us your contact info so we can make sure to add you in it?
0: <laughs> yes. No, I have chills because it is so important. And it's, it's like these, these healthy communication skills that they start to foster together. And, and that feels a, like a really important life skill and a really important part of that group process.
1: Yeah. They learn how to network when they're 15.
0: Exactly. (laughs) All right. So if there was a new therapist coming into the field and they wanted to run a group like this, what would be your starting steps for them? What would you tell them to get them on this path to doing what you do?
1: I would say one order the curriculum beyond the basics. It's a Canadian sex education program and it's really detailed, it's really overwhelming. There's a lot more information in there than I think any of our like really great curriculums here in the US have. So like get that and go through it and see what your own hangups are. Because if you don't know your own hangups, you're gonna be like kind of knocked off your rocker when you go into a group. You know, and it's it's okay to model and show what it looks like your hangups are, but you have to be as authentic. Authentic is not the word. You have to be as open-minded and transparent as you expect your youth to be in this group. If you are not as open-minded and transparent, they are not going to be either because they're going to follow your lead. This is a taboo conversation for our U.S. culture. We don't talk about it. We want to sweep it under the rug. We don't think it's necessarily fun. It's not always positive, right? It's supposed to be kept a secret. And so that's what they're coming in with. And so we have to model that. So if you're, you know, a new therapist coming into this figure out what it was like for you when you were young and what you wish adult, you would be able to bring to the table so that you had felt comfortable to talk about it first.
0: It's such an important conversation. So one, I'll be buying that curriculum today. (laughs) So thank you for the inspiration and the recommendation. And also it's a message that I keep hearing every time I ask this question to therapists on the podcast. And it's like, do your own work, like check your own biases, see what's coming up for you before you step into this group and you model and facilitate it for somebody else.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, we're not perfect. So like if you make a mistake or you don't know an answer, just say it like I've had, you know, (laughs) I have teens be ask me all sorts of like odd questions, especially when we're talking about like menstruation or condoms or birth control. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know that answer. That is a great question. You know, like an example that comes to mind is like vibrators for trans youth. I don't know that answer. I don't know if there are specific ones. I am not trans. But what I can say is like, hey, I don't know that answer. Like, here's some ideas that I have, but I'm actually going to go talk to some of the consultants I work with, with lived experience and see if they have, you know, ideas or, or guidance in that. And then be prepared to pay those consultants with lived experience, because that's invaluable to what you're offering these youth. So
0: important, that whole message pay for your consultation, make sure you're modeling when you don't know, but, but really holding with importance the question and making sure that you have resources or you know, ways to find answers for your group members. Totally. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you are amazing. I love this group. I'm excited that you're running it. I am excited to grab that curriculum and see how we can implement something like that on our side of the U.S. Tell people where they can find you and learn more about you and what you do.
1: Absolutely. So you can find me on all the leading social media, but my website is the best place to kind of get all that information and it is interfaithbridge.com. You'll find all the links to Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all that fun stuff there.
0: All the things. Awesome. So we will link all that in the resources below your podcast. Lena, thank you for being here today and sharing your expertise. Absolutely. Have a good day. Hey, Groupie, thanks for listening. For more resources on how you can market, fill, and run your group in private practice, check me out at becomeagroupguru.com.